Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Let me ask a question this morning. How many like to talk about yourself? Anybody? All right, we got one, two. You just point. Oh, Kerry's pointing at everyone. He's pointing at Michael uh, back there. Uh, yeah, we have people that like to talk about themselves. It's not, it's not really the message this morning. I just I don't know why I had that random thought literally as they were singing. I just wanted to throw that out there. But uh, I was thinking about that in relation to the message. You know, when we talk about ourselves, often what we talk about is our strengths, right? What we're good at. Uh, we don't often talk about what we are bad at. Or if you do, um, sometimes you talk about what you're bad at or what you're struggling with. And I think sometimes I look at my own life, when we talk about these things, it's really trying to get people to feel sorry for us. You ever done that? I've done that many times to where I'm struggling with something, I'm going through a, a difficulty, a trial, some suffering, affliction, whatever it is. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a bunch of people around me with me to try to feel sorry for me so that I feel better about myself. Anyone else like that? Anyone? All right, we have two honest hands. Very good. Thank you. Very good. I appreciate it. Uh, you guys are a bunch of liars. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's continue on. Anyone know how to suffer well in here? Anybody? Anybody know how to suffer well? Probably not. Uh, most of us don't. Most of us probably don't even like to suffer. I know I don't like to suffer. I know many of you that I've talked to, you don't like to suffer as well. And as I was saying earlier, a lot of times when we talk about ourselves, we're not talking about our weaknesses, we're talking about our strengths. We're magnifying them, we're talking about how good we are, or if we're talking about the weaknesses, we're trying to get people to feel sorry for us in our weakness. And I say all that to say this, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, go ahead and flip there, we'll, we'll read in just a minute. But the city of Corinth was a very strong city. And what I mean by that is uh, it was a very important city, a very powerful city. Corinth was known for the luxurious lifestyles. You think about this in relation to some of our great cities in the United States, very powerful, and the people that are in that city are, are powerful types of people. Uh, they had impressive architecture there in, in Corinth and uh, a lot of elite socialites. Just the structures of the city portrayed the great power that was behind this city. So when you think about people's weaknesses, they didn't really magnify weakness in, in Corinth. What they did was magnify strength. They promoted strength. They talked about strength. They were all about strength. So when someone was suffering, when someone was struggling, when someone was weak, they didn't understand what they were going through, what they were dealing with. And again, I say that because... Here in this epistle, the Apostle Paul is going to be talking about his weaknesses. And a little backstory, just very, very quickly. The people in Corinth, the, even the Christians there, didn't understand how a true apostle of Jesus Christ could suffer the way that Paul suffered, because that city was known for their strength, not for their weakness. And a lot of people, not just within that city, but others surrounding, or surrounding cities as well, almost thought of Paul as an inferior apostle. Now, I think we look at Paul today, and we don't think of him as an inferior apostle at all. We think of him as one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament, wrote many books. But because this city promoted their strength and not their weakness, they couldn't understand how a true servant, a true apostle of Jesus Christ, suffered the way in which Paul suffered. And as Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, he's really writing this as a way of defending himself. Now, knowing anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that he didn't necessarily like to talk about himself, didn't want to defend himself, but that's exactly what he had to do here. I want you to look at the end of chapter 11 first, verse number 30. The Bible says, If I must needs glory, and what he's saying here in glory, if I must needs boast, if I must needs glory or boast, I will glory or boast of the things which concern mine infirmities. Now that's important. 
Now, Paul had a lot of things that he could talk about, a lot of strengths in his life, a lot of, we, or a lot of great victories, a lot of important things that God had done in his life. But he sets the tone here and says, if I must needs boast, I'm not going to boast of how great I am, how great of an apostle I am, of all the things that God has done in and through me. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses, is what he's saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning for the next few minutes as we look at our own weakness, our own inadequacies. And Lord, I know there's probably many people in this room today that struggle with the feeling of inadequacy. And I know there's many people that feel sorry for themselves and don't understand why affliction comes and suffering comes. But Lord, as we continue this series on the limitless power of grace, God, I pray that you'd help us to see some very important principles that Paul is giving the Corinthians that we can apply to us today to understand how grace truly strengthens our weaknesses. And that it's important to give our weaknesses over to God. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are. And God, I even thank you for my own weaknesses, of which I have many. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to truly give my weaknesses over to you and realize that in myself, I am nothing, but with you, I am everything. And that's the message for all of us this morning. In ourselves, we are nothing, but with you, we are everything. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Look back at chapter 11. Let's start in verse number 16. I want to look at a couple of things that went on in the Apostle Paul's life. You may have known this. You may not have known this. But he says in verse number 16, I, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. So he's talking a little bit about himself, some things that he's gone through. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if man bring you into bondage, if man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man uh, exalt himself, if a man smite you in the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are there any Hebrews? So am I. Are there Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers? Excuse me. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, now he talks about some things that happened to him specifically. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one. So what he's saying here is he has been beaten and whipped 39 times at five different times in his life. Think about that. Now, in the, the Jewish culture, and the Roman culture at this day, when they were basically trying to punish someone, they would uh, take those, uh, those stripes, the, that, that whip, and, and just wail into someone for 40 times. But because he was a Roman citizen, because he was a Jew, he only received it 39 times and not 40. So anyway, just imagine being beaten five times, just whipped and whipped and whipped and whipped. Verse 25, thrice, three times, was I beaten with rods. <laughs> Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So he has been in the middle of the sea for a whole day and a whole night because the ship was wrecked. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Paul had been through a lot, hadn't he? In weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, who care of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not. And he says in verse 30 again, if I must needs glory or boast, 
I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Now, Paul is doing this for a very important reason. He's not trying to show how great he is. Now, I want you to stay with me for a few minutes. I'm really going to be setting the stage, and, and maybe you're like, oh, I'm just going to turn you out for a few minutes. Don't do that. He's really trying to set the stage and help them understand a couple of things about his sufferings and about his weaknesses. He's not doing this to show how great he is. You know, sometimes when we talk about things that have happened to us, I even think of it in a preacher sense. You know, when I talk about myself and my own personal experiences, I'm sure there are times when people are like, seriously, preacher, we've heard this enough. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I understand that. I get that. And Paul had to do this in many of his letters, and he wasn't doing it as a prideful way. He was doing it to show what God has taught him. He was doing it to show how that everything that had happened to him happened to him for a reason, and he was trying to use his personal experience as a way to help the others, to help the Christians that were struggling. And what he was trying to do here is this. He was trying to get them to understand that God uses sufferings, God uses our weakness as a means to his grace, and that's very important. God uses sufferings, he uses weaknesses as a means to his grace. One of the worst things that happened to Paul happened to him while he was in Corinth. Again, Paul talked a lot about everything that he went through up into this time, but Paul suffered a lot of persecutions. You know, I, I've had people talk about me, but nothing concerning what Paul. I mean, he had a lot of false prophets and teachers that that was their goal to just lambast Paul, go off on him, and, and, and countless times in his ministry, and especially in Corinth, this happened to Paul. They had false teachers that were there. Their job was to destroy Paul. Think about that. And we might have met people in our lives that didn't like us and said some things about us, but has there really ever been someone in our lives that was really just trying to destroy us? Probably not in the sense of Paul. Now remember, Paul is human. I think sometimes we put these people on a pedestal sometimes, and man, I, I just, Paul is an, an amazing man, and he, he, he is, don't get me wrong. But he still struggled with some of the things that he went through. Anyone ever struggle with the things that you go through? Yeah. You struggle with your afflictions and your sufferings and just trying to make sense of it. When you study Paul's epistles, epistles you'll see at times where he's like, why? I, I don't understand this. I don't understand, God, why you've allowed this external abuse, this internal suffering to come into my life. Again, Paul had a lot of good that he could talk about. Let's, let's go to chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory or to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now he, he talks about himself here, and kind of in the third person, and some things that happened to him 14 years prior. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such as one caught up to the third heaven. So he tells of this experience, and he really just can't even fully fathom this experience that he had 14 years prior to writing this epistle about how a time in his life when he was caught up, when he was taken into heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that when he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. I can't even explain what I experienced is what he's saying. Of such in one will I glory, yet of myself will not I glory, but in my infirmity. So, again, please understand this. Paul was whisked away into heaven. Got to see Jesus firsthand and, and, and talk with him. Think of that experience. And I'm just thinking of my own life. If something like that were to happen to me, honestly, I'd probably be like, do you know what happened to me? Jesus took me to heaven. I, I got to see it all. Do you know how great I am? I mean, really, you don't have to answer this, but who in here probably wouldn't do that? We'd be using it. Hey, there's the guy, there's the woman that got to go to heaven. Now, some people think you're a lunatic. There's no way you went to heaven. 
But Paul is saying this because, hey, I could boast of who I am, of how great I am. He does this in other epistles. In Philippians, he talks about his pedigree. You know, I'm a Jew. I, you know, all the things that, that he was. But he says this because I, I don't want you to, 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 to realize that I, I'm nothing special here. I could talk about how special I am, but that's not the important thing. And all the things that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians lead up to chapter 12, verse number 7. Everything in this past chapter led to one emphatic thing, and here it is, his suffering. Look at verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, and in reproaches, and necessities, in persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, I am, then am I strong. But look back at verse number 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure. So he's saying, there is something that has happened to me in my life that is keeping me from being filled with pride, puffed up, arrogant. And there's several things that stand out to me in this verse, but one thing that stands out is in the middle of verse 7. Look at this. There was given to me. So what he's saying, I, I've received a gift. Now, just how my mind works, when I think of a gift, I think of something pretty awesome, right? I think, man, someone gave me a gift. And I'm going to tell people about this gift. Hey, do you know the gift that I received? I don't usually think of suffering as a gift. Anybody think of suffering as a gift? Anybody like, hey, preacher, let me tell you the great gift I received this week. I got to suffer at my job. Anybody? Probably not. I got to go through this trial. I had people attacking me this week. Praise God for that, right? Anybody? Man, you guys don't know what gifts are, I guess. But Paul says, there was given me. There was, again, it, it, a gift was given him, but the gift that was given him was suffering. And he continues on. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, when I think of the word thorn, just keep your mouth shut, some of you. <laughs> saying that because that's my last name. It's spelled wrong. But when I think of thorn, I, I think of an annoyance. And you're like, oh, I think of an annoyance too. Yeah, <laughs> keep your mouth shut. Seriously. Man, if we have any visitors here, I'm, I apologize. I'm, I'm sorry. They're usually not this bad. They're worse. But when I think of a thorn, I think of an annoyance. I think, and I'm sure my wife would say amen to that. When she married into that family of thorns, she's like, yes, it's been nothing but an annoyance for the past 10 plus years. <laughs> Amen. But I want you to understand something about this word. The words of the scripture are very important. When Paul is talking about a thorn, he's not talking about just something, some, you know, little you know, prickle or something like that you have like on a thorn bush and, oh man, it stuck me. Ah, oh, it's just an annoying thing. The word thorn is translated in the Greek as a stake or a spike. So what he's talking about is a major affliction, a major source of pain. So think about that. Think of, okay, you get a little, you know, a little sticker in you, a little thorny. Oh, man, that's annoying. But think of being stuck with a stake. <laughs> that's more than just annoying, isn't it? <laughs> that's painful. That's what he's trying to get across here. My suffering is painful. Now, we can debate all day what the suffering is, and you know, I've read a lot of different commentaries and a lot of different articles on it in the past. And again, we can, we can debate that. That's, that's not the important thing. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, continue on, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And what he's talking about here, the messenger, what he's saying is an angel, an angel of Satan has been given to persecute me. 
And this word buffet means basically to continue to strike against. So think of the waves on the seashore that continue to strike against the, the shore. So he's been given this thorn in the flesh. And again, it could be, you can, you can debate it all day. You could be, oh, it could be a sickness. It could be some kind of infirmity. But Paul went through a lot of literal persecution. Outward, internal, all of those things. What, what he's saying here is, I have a great affliction that I'm going through. And you think, why, why would God allow Satan to attack him the way that he did? I can't help but think of Job in the Old Testament. But really, I think one of the reasons why God allowed this, it's answered in this verse, and other verses as well, but look at the very first phrase. And he uses it at the end of this verse as well. Lest I should be what? Exalted above measure. And then he says at the end of the verse, lest I should be exalted above measure. So lest I think of myself as greater than I am, God has allowed this thorn in the flesh, this persecution, this painful affliction to come upon me. And I want you to understand a very powerful principle here. God uses suffering in our lives. God uses afflictions to humble us. And I think of my own situation, my own life. I don't necessarily need to talk about everything I've gone through. But I think of my own life and the, and the afflictions that I've gone through, I've realized, looking back, were there to humble me, <laughs> lest I should be exalted above measure. And I think the same is true for all of us today. When we go through suffering, when we go through affliction, when we go through trials, situations that we don't understand, it's there to humble us. And God has to do that many times in our life. God has to kind of stamp us down because, hey, you think you're a little bit more than what you are. You're not that great. Everything you are is because of me. You know, I talked about humility, and humility is a fine quality, but if we're always talking about how humble we are, we're probably not that humble. But God uses suffering to humble us. Get that, get that in your mind this morning. Let's continue on in verse number 8. For this thing, again, you can debate what this thing was, that's not important, and I think one of the reasons why it's not important, because I think if we knew exactly what it was, it'd be very easy for us to compare. Oh, I've had something like that. It's not that bad. I had something worse. It could be very easy for us to do that. The, the point is, I have a great affliction, great persecution is coming at me, and this thing, this great affliction, this spike, this, this stake that is getting me, I besought the Lord, I begged the Lord, I pleaded with the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Now, we don't know if this was just one day that he continually, all right, God, I need this to go away. Maybe this was over the past 14 years. God, take it away. God, I, I need you to remove this, this affliction, this thorn in the flesh. I, 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 I don't like it. I don't like the pain. I don't like the suffering. And yet, three times emphatically, God told him no. But fortunately for Paul and for us, it didn't stop at no. God gave him something as he was asking for this. Look what he says in the first part of verse number 9. And he said unto me, this is God talking to, to Paul. Let's read that. Next six words, five or six words. Ready? My grace is sufficient for thee. Let's read that again. My grace is sufficient for thee. So Paul, over the course of the past several years, had begged, had pleaded, God, take this away. Take this suffering. Take this affliction. Take this pain away. And every time, God said, nope. But I want you to understand. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. But God, I don't want this. God, this isn't fair. God, I don't like to suffer. But my grace is sufficient for thee. 
Look, every time Paul asked, he got the same answer, that God's grace is sufficient, it's surpassing, it's abundant, it's, ex- it's exceeding, it's marvelous, it's wonderful, it's miraculous, it's powerful. And God offers his grace through the problems because his grace is sufficient. Grace, get this, is not necessarily what we want, but it's exactly what we need. And I say that because of this. When we're going through an affliction, we're not thinking, okay, God, I need your grace. We're saying, God, remove this affliction, right? At least I do. I'm I'm honest today. When I go through a suffering and affliction that I don't like, God, take this away because I do not need this. I cannot handle this. I don't want this. God says, sometimes, okay, I'll take it away, but many times, like Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Grace isn't necessarily what we want, but it's exactly what we need. And these verses are so powerful. I know many of us probably know these verses. Maybe we quote these verses. But I think sometimes we just quote them without truly realizing the implications that they bring us. You see, what we see in these three or four verses is the limitless power of grace. And here's what I love about grace. Grace is powerful because it's personal. Think about that. Grace is powerful because it's personal. Yes, God's grace is for all Christians, all believers, but God specifically imparts his grace upon the individual. If you're going through a suffering, a trial, an affliction, God will give you the grace that you need, not necessarily that someone else needs, but that you need to get beyond it, to get through it. You know, grace is such an amazing word. It's used over 131 times in the New Testament alone. Most of the times, it's by the Apostle Paul. You know, grace is not just some sort of concept. It's, it's a force. It's powerful. It has the power to transform us. It has the power to turn darkness into light and night into day. It has the power to save us, to keep us, to enable us. It has the power to sanctify us, to glorify us. It's that divine force that God pours out into the lives of people to grant them what they need but don't deserve and can never repay. Look, we stand in grace. We live in grace. Grace is what energizes and strengthens us. It's so simply amazing that I don't think we'll ever fully understand the whole realm of grace until we get to heaven. And that's why people like Paul and Peter and James use adjectives to describe grace. They talk about the riches of grace. They speak of it being manifold, meaning there's grace for everything, that grace is multifaceted. You see, we have the opportunity as a believer, as a Christian, to experience this abundant, rich, manifold, matchless grace of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Some of you guys that got a study guide, if you flip over to the back, there's a question. Why don't you take just a couple seconds and answer that question. The question is this, for some of you that didn't get one. What is your greatest weakness? Go ahead and write it down. What is your greatest weakness? Some of you might be looking at the person next to you. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Just kidding. But what is your greatest weakness? Think about it. You don't have to show it to anyone. What is your greatest weakness? I asked my wife that question for me this morning, and, and she gave me her response of what she thought my greatest weakness was, at least at this time in my life, and I, I think she's spot on. You know, one of, one of my great weaknesses is, you know, a lack of trust in God, to be honest. Like, well, a pastor not trusting God? Yeah, because I want to control the situation, and when I can't control the situation, I have a hard time with it. I have a very difficult time with with difficulty, with stress, with trouble, because I'm like, God, this is what I need. And he's like, no, 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 you don't know what you need. Why don't you just let me take care of it? And I struggle with that. I struggle with just truly turning my life over to God and just trusting him. And I'm sure if you're honest, you probably say that as well. But really going deeper, I, I, thinking about that this week, one of my greatest weaknesses is a feeling of inadequacy. Again, it's just me being transparent this morning. One of my greatest weaknesses is a feeling of inadequacy. 
You know what an inadequacy is? It's basically saying that I'm not enough. I'm not adequate to do what I'm doing. Like, I can't believe you'd feel that way. I can't believe you're so insecure. Well, you're right. I struggle with that greatly. I think countless times, Lord, I'm not, I'm not adequate. I'm not, I'm not sufficient to, to be a pastor, to, to preach your word. I'm not adequate enough to, to be a good father and be a good husband. And the list just continues. I, I think of my inadequacy countless times. And I think because of that, it just it gets me down. It, it discourages me, almost puts me in a state of depression at times because I'm thinking I'm not enough. I'm too inadequate to do the job that you've called me to do. Because the truth is, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to feel weak. I want to feel strong. But so often I feel weak because of my weaknesses. And stay with me here. And I believe my weaknesses actually hinder me. But I've got it all wrong, and I think many of us do as well. Look, we experience inadequacies in relationships, in our jobs, in parenting. I came across a devotion this week from Charles Stanley, and he offered some reasons and results of inadequacy that I want to share. And if they're in your notes and you want to write them down, go ahead and write them down. The first thing is this, reasons for inadequacy. Feeling ill-equipped. Well, I'm not, I'm not equipped enough to, to do whatever. The second thing he says is a poor self-image. I was like, man, he's obviously been in my life this week. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, I just have a poor self-image of myself. And what I do to hide that is I, in a sense, build up walls around myself and try to act in a way that I'm really not so that people don't think I'm, you know, this insecure person. But sometimes I have a poor self-image of myself. Another thing that I've struggled with, and I'm sure many of you as well, is this, comparison. Anybody ever struggle with comparison? You're comparing your life to someone else or comparing a situation to another situation? I think all of us do that. So reasons for inadequacy is a feeling of ill-equipped, a poor self-image, a comparison. And I was thinking about that even last night, even yesterday. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so the ladies went on a ladies' retreat, and I had the boys for a couple days. And uh, my mom had bought these uh, little, little easels, uh, you know, with the chalkboard on one side and the, uh, um, the marker board on the other side. So I pulled them down to the attic and we just let the, let the boys, Nate and Noah, just have fun. You know, do a bunch of drawing. Nate's in kindergarten this year, so he's working on his letters and his numbers and all that kind of stuff. And then he started drawing pictures. Uh, go ahead and pop up those pictures that I think I, I sent Michael. So here are the pictures. I know maybe it might be a little bit hard to see. So the one on the left is from Nate. And Nate was trying to draw a house, and, and all that little stuff is smoke from coming out of the chimney. And, and then he's drawing his name. He's got N-A-E-T, not N-A-T-E. Anyway, uh, he's got dad and different things like that. The one on the right is Noah. Uh, so Noah, he's two years old. And it's funny, Noah drew this picture, and, and uh, immediately he's telling me what this picture is. Anybody know what this picture is? Anybody have an idea? It's Mr. Potato Head. Can't you guys see that? I mean, it is, it is clearly Mr. Potato Head. And it was funny because he was showing me, he's like, Dad, there's the eyes, there's the nose, there's the head. I have no clue what he was pointing to. He's like, Tato Head. I, what? That's not Tato Head. That, what, what are you talking about? But anyway, we finished the pictures, and, and then Nate was, was looking at them both, and he's like, Dad, my picture is so much better than Noah's. <laughs> Noah's picture stinks. Like... It's horrible. I'm like, Nate, Nate, Nate. Okay, it's a great opportunity to parent here. Nate, we can't compare. One, you're five years old. Your picture should be a little bit better. He's two. His picture is great for a two-year-old, and I learned that he is not a prodigy, an art prodigy. Neither is Nate. But Nate was comparing. Hey, Dad, my picture is better. Noah's, Noah's picture stinks. It's horrible. So I used it as an opportunity. Okay, okay. We can't compare and tried to help him understand. He probably didn't understand that. But I use this as an illustration this morning because that's what we do, isn't it? We look at our life compared to someone else or we look at a situation compared to another situation we've been in and what we do is compare. Well, my trial, my affliction is greater than that affliction. 
well, I am so much more superior than this person, right? And because of that comparison, we have a feeling of inadequacy. We'll continue the list. There's a couple more. Another reason for inadequacy is this, criticism. (laughs) Not just you yourself criticizing, but someone else criticizing you. A lot of people don't take criticism well. Another reason is this, failures. You ever had a failure in your life? I think all of us. And then Stanley says, here are some results of inadequacy. First of all, failure to take advantage of God-given opportunities. Because of our feeling of inadequacy, what we do is we fail to take advantage of a God opportunity, God-given opportunity. The second thing he says is this, it's a refusal of God's call on our life. The third thing he says, it's a forfeiture of God's design blessings. And then he says, it's a lack of fulfillment. Because of these feelings of inadequacy, we don't feel fulfilled. I'm not fulfilled because I'm inadequate. And I think he's spot on, but then I was thinking, to me, one of the greater results in my own life of my own inadequacy is failure to see God's power. Let me, let me explain this. I think so often in my life that I have to be something special. I have to be something great. I have to do this. When God is saying, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything special because in me, you are special. In me, you have everything you need. And what I do is I fail to see God's power working, and I I fail to allow God's power working in my life because I'm struggling and I'm focusing on my own inadequacies. And I think of that lack of fulfillment. There's many times in my life, to be honest, that I feel very unfulfilled. But I like what Paul is saying here. He said it's not about glorifying or boasting in our strengths. It's about boasting in our weaknesses. Now that sounds completely against culture, right? You don't boast about your weaknesses. But look what he says at the end of verse number 9. My strength is made perfect... In what? In weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, boast, in my infirmities and in my struggles, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I like what John Maxwell said. He said, God uses people who fail because there aren't any others around. But Paul could have written a number of things in his own blank of, my greatest weakness is whatever. Maybe you feel inadequate like I do. Maybe it's your worry, your fear that drives you. (laughs) Maybe you have a difficult time trusting or submitting. Maybe you're too much of a control freak. Maybe your pride and self-sufficiency gets the best of you. Maybe you're insecure. Maybe you struggle with doubt. Maybe it's a sickness or a literal infirmity. Maybe you're not disciplined. Maybe you're too inconsistent. Maybe you're too discouraged or too depressed. Maybe you're too pessimistic. Maybe you're too selfish. Maybe you can't talk very well. You're you're too introverted. Maybe you're too extroverted. It doesn't matter what your weakness is that you listed. It doesn't matter what your struggle is. What matters is this. Grace strengthens. Get that. It doesn't matter your weakness. It doesn't matter your inadequacy. What matters is grace strengthens your weakness. It strengthens your inadequacy. If God's power works best in our weakness, then recognizing that we don't have what it takes will enable us to receive God's grace which enables us to celebrate our weaknesses, which makes room for more grace. And what happens is this. When we celebrate our weaknesses, when we give our weaknesses over to God and realize that we are truly inadequate, 
We are truly insufficient without God. When we celebrate it, God pours into us his grace. He pours into us his power. And in turn, we take his power and pour into someone else. And what happens is, like this ring, it's a picture of a circle. It just keeps going and going and going. It's never ending. That's what God's grace does in our lives. It strengthens us, and it's, it's a picture of a beautiful circle. God's grace just keeps pouring in, pouring in as we're pouring out. As, as we're pouring out, he's pouring in, and it just keeps going and going and going. Look, life is full of trouble. It's full of disaster. It's full of suffering. If we're not suffering, then honestly, we're probably on the edge of suffering. Life is filled with strong temptation. It's filled with the attractions to sinfulness. It's filled with struggles to cope with disappointments of the pain and suffering that comes through experiences. Look, we live in a fallen, decadent, corrupt world, and we live in a fallen, decadent, corrupt flesh. So we face incessant trouble, even in endeavoring to serve the Lord. And Paul went through the ringer. He went through suffering. He went through trials. He went through afflictions. I want you to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because this is very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 5, look what he says. Not that we are sufficient. You know what the word sufficient means? It means adequate or enough. He says, not that we are adequate. Not that we are enough. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Look, you are not enough. You are not adequate to think that you're anything. I am not adequate. I am not enough, but that's okay. I don't have to be enough because you know who is enough? Jesus Christ. Maybe you guys aren't getting this this morning. Maybe I'm just preaching way over your heads. But do you know who is enough? Jesus. He is enough. And I've had to remind myself that this week because those feelings of inadequacy have crept up lately in my life. That God, I am not enough. I am not adequate to do anything for you. And I'm just going to pout and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to struggle in my own weaknesses because I want to glory in all the things that I don't like. But what I should have been doing is glorying in God. Is turning over my weaknesses to Him and allow Him to pour into me His strength. And what it says, not that we are sufficient, not that we are adequate of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our what? Sufficiency, our adequateness, our enoughness, whatever you want to say, is of God. Did you get that? You are not adequate to do anything. I am not adequate to do anything. I am not adequate to go through suffering and to conquer suffering, but through Christ's grace that he offers me, I am sufficient. He has given me the sufficiency to deal with my problems. Am I sufficient for my own salvation? No. Am I sufficient to endure suffering? No. But do you know who is? Jesus Christ. And that's what grace does. That's the limitless power of grace. That grace truly strengthens us. It drives us. It moves us. It enables us. Again, I, maybe it's just me today. Maybe that own inadequacy is creeping up again. But I don't know if you're getting this. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm trying to say. Many of us are going to struggle with inadequacy with the feeling of, I'm not enough. Okay, that's fine. Then give it over to God. God, I'm not enough. God, I, I can't do whatever. Look at my weakness, God. I can't get beyond this weakness. Okay, well, why don't you give your weakness to God? God, there's my weakness. Would you please pour out your strength into me? so that I can be strong, not because I'm strong, but because you're strong. This is an amazing picture of the limitless power of grace. Look, get, get this. This is good. Paul could not come to grips with his own suffering 
until he first came to grips with his sufficiency. And what I mean is that he was not sufficient enough. But Jesus Christ was sufficient. During one of the TED Talks many years ago, there's a story told of Ted Hansen. Or a story of Ted Hansen that told a story. He said, in art school, this man named Phil began to develop a tremor in his hand. For years, he had worked towards becoming an expert in pointillism. What pointillism is, it's a technique where the artist uses small, distinct dots to form an image. Just think about that, just a bunch of dots to make an image. Years of tediously making tiny dots had led to permanent nerve damage, I can imagine, making it impossible for him to hold his hand steady. Suddenly, Phil's signature ability became a signature disability. His strength had now become a weakness. He quit art for a while, but his neurologist said something that really stuck with him. He said, why don't you embrace the shake? Phil began experimenting with art again, and the most incredible thing took place. The shake that he thought had destroyed his artistic ability became what inspired his most powerful work. His weakness actually became his strength. His limitation became the catalyst for greater creativity. He started working on larger canvases and, and using anything he could to display art. He used cups from Starbucks. He used matches. He used his hand to make art by only karate chopping the can, canvas. There were a lot of failures, yes. But when he learned to embrace the shake, he discovered that art created out of weakness ended up being his most inspiring pieces. Here's how he explained it. And I don't think he's a Christian, but this is good. He said, we need to first be limited in order to become limitless. We need to first be limited in order to become limitless. Do you want to have the limitless power of God's grace in your life? Then you need to realize that you yourself are limited. You yourself are inadequate. You yourself are, are, are not sufficient, but Jesus Christ and his grace is sufficient. Here's what we have to do this morning. Here's what I'm trying to draw from. You have to embrace your own inadequacy. You have to embrace your own weakness as a means of God's limitless grace. Brother Mike preached a great message last week talking about basically, is God enough for you? And he was using the story of Abraham and Isaac. And really, if God is enough for you, what I drew from this, and if I'm wrong, you can point it out, but what I drew from this, if, if God is enough with that story, that there was no sacrifice too great, right? There is no sacrifice too great if God is truly enough. But let me go a step further. If God is truly enough for you, then not only will no sacrifice be too much, but no suffering will be too much either. That's powerful. If God is truly enough, then not just any sacrifice, but any suffering. Pastor, you're saying we have to suffer? You know, one of the marks of a disciple is suffering. I don't like it more than you like it, but what I know is that through my suffering, through my weakness, God has a way to fill me with his strength and make me greater than what I can even be on my own. Paul is begging God, pleading with God, God, take this affliction away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, will I rather boast in my affirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution. Yes, even persecution, even in those things that people are, are persecuting me and, and afflicting me for, and even this, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that is just striking at me. I take pleasure in this, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I am strong, not because I am great, but because Christ's grace 
is great. And here's the core truth of the message today. Grace embraces our inadequacy by strengthening us. Go ahead and try to be powerful in and of yourself, and it's going to fail you. Your physical strength will only get you so far. God's supernatural power will get you all the way. And that's what we need today. It doesn't matter how many times you go to the gym and and pump iron and, and get as big and strong and whatever that you want to be. What you need is not that. What you need is God's power coming in your life. Because God is what gives you the sufficiency to enable any suffering to give any sacrifice over to God. And I didn't necessarily plan that, but it's, it's amazing how those two messages really tie together. No sacrifice is too great if God is enough for you. No suffering is too great. Pastor, I don't want to suffer. You think Paul wanted to suffer? You think I want to have to suffer in my life? No, I don't. And, you know, Paul said he, he prayed it three times. I prayed it at least 350,000 times. God, take this suffering away. Sometimes he's taken away, but most of the time he's like, nope, but my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My grace is what you need because you're going to realize that through this weakness, you're going to be a better person because you're the person that I'm creating, that I'm molding, that I'm making, that I'm shaping. So this morning, what I want us to do is embrace our own inadequacy. Allow God's grace to embrace our weakness by actually strengthening us. And it doesn't sound like it makes sense. And against, in accordance to our culture, it doesn't make sense. But go ahead and try to figure out life on your own. And tell me how that works. Go ahead and try to be enough on your own. Tell me how that works for you. It might work for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. But if you want to be really the, the disciple, the Christian that God wants you to be, if you, were, if you really truly want to have an abundant, thriving life, then you're, you're going to have to learn that even in your suffering, God still wants to strengthen you. And he said unto me, my grace is what? Sufficient. What's that mean? It means enough. But God, I don't want this. I don't like this. My grace is enough. But God, I, I need this to be gone. Maybe you do this. Maybe you pray this prayer. God, take it away. God, you don't love me. No, I do love you. I'm trying to show my amazing strength in this situation. So give me your weakness so I can make you strong. If God is enough, no sacrifice is too great and no suffering is too much.